this time on episode 460 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., we're going to get in to discuss some season five X-Men, the animated series from 1992, episode five and episode six, as presented currently on Disney+. Plus. We're also going to delve into weekly Marvel news, including the MCU's first transgender actor, Talks Making History at Marvel. Annie Wershing, unfortunately, leaves us and passes away. Marvel confirms Black Panther 2's position on the MCU timeline. And Scarlet Witch brings an MCU sidekick into the Marvel Universe. She has a secret. I'm SP from the GuineaGeek.com show, a weekly geek news podcast that is part of the GuineaGeek.com network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other amazing geek shows at GuineaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. And now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and the Marvel Comic Book Universes as told on screen by Jubilee. I'm sorry by Marvel Studios. This show is recorded on Saturday, February 4th, 2023, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast cartoon land-wide. Come and join our live chat as we record. And if you didn't already catch on to it, we love talking about Marvel. Because of visible budget cuts. If you'd like to talk to us about visual budget cuts, you can visit our website, legendsofshield.com. If you would like to leave us a voicemail about the budget cuts that you've been seeing, you can leave us one at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can send us your favorite GIF of the adjusted budget season five episodes on Twitter at Legends of Shield. You can see the quality of our budget on YouTube, youtube.com slash geek. If you'd like to plan out some budget cuts for later, or maybe how to work around it, still put out a quality product, you can do what some other people probably should have done and join our Discord server at, over at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of gunnageek.com. All right, so we've got Agent Dribbles down there, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking at you, Agent Fumbles. What's going on? Uh, Yeah. Just, you know, I started my next audiobook, so just having some extra sound treatment, by which I mean an Ikea screen, and it's fantastic, and I love it. Awesome. Awesome to know. Maybe I should try that myself. Well, it's been a fun week. You know, we had some, you know, stuff going on in the country, and uh, just hours ago, I was without power, but I have power now, so... I have the power to start this show. You guys ready to talk about X-Men? Let's go. Oh, yeah. Do, 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 do. 
Previously on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Words cannot express how much I love those previously ons, by the way. I'm I'm sure it'll take me about 10 minutes to do something stupid. So Storm is the Johnny Manziel of the X-Men? She just goes with it a little bit too easily, and I wish that she had taken the time to at least assess her situation going, yeah, maybe this is not all as it seems right away. You just go, Gerbob, snicked, snicked, and he'd understand it. (laughs) Wolfie! But look at everybody else, Beast and Cyclops. Let's be super gentle with this thing. Let's not do anything with it. Let's make sure we don't hurt it. A portal opens in front of you. You just walk through it. Are portals sentient beings? The cake is a lie. I'm not sorry. I don't blame you. Yes, I work in education, but I'm trained to crush people's dreams. So I'm not too sure if I would be the best choice. I think if we're going to randomly pick one of us, we have to pick SP because we're responsible, I suppose. (laughs) I don't think anybody's actually ever called me responsible. Good job on the previously on this week. That must have been done at 2 a.m., Chris. No, actually, I was in bed before midnight this time. Oh, okay. Well, good to hear. Good to hear. Well, we are going to be talking about the next couple of episodes of X-Men, the animated series, season five, episodes one and two, and they premiered on Fox Kids on Saturday, February 8th and Saturday, November 16th of 1997 and 1995. So a little bit of mix up going on there in the Disney Plus order. Season five, episode five, The Fifth Horseman and season five, episode six, Jubilee, Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theater which is an interesting concept. Michelle, what happened in these two episodes? The Fifth Horseman. Fabian Cortez kidnaps Jubilee because Apocalypse is trapped in the astral plane and needs a host body. Jubilee's fairy tale theater. Jubilee and a group of children are trapped by a cave-in in the caverns underneath Xavier's mansion. She tells a fairy tale to kill time while they wait to be rescued. So, Chris, what are your first thoughts of these episodes? I really like seeing a Jubilee-focused episode. She was really introduced in the comics and here in the beginning of the cartoon as a point-of-view character. But then they've kind of gotten away from her in the cartoon and shoved her off a lot. So, it's really nice to see her being the focus of both episodes we're looking at this week. I, too agree that it was nice to see jubilee in some episodes i just we'll talk about how else we feel about those episodes later so yeah with the jubilee episode i hated her when i was a kid i think i talked about that before but now you know going back being a lot older than i was when i watched i appreciate her more as the audience insert character And uh, with regards to the Apocalypse episode, it was an episode. Yeah, I guess the biggest points I had was uh, Apocalypse did indeed return to the series. And we get Jubilee as a dungeon master storyteller. So, you know, she could have her own YouTube channel and get out there and do some amazing things out there, right? Well, one thing that I think we all commented on either in text message on the show docs or before the recording was the quality of the episodes. And even though we've kind of noticed in the four previous episodes of season five, it really shone through in these episodes. So who wants to start talking about the quality of the 
non-existent quality. Okay, so when I was watching, Scott wandered through, looked at the TV and was like, I didn't think this was made in the 70s. And I was like, you're right, this is from 1996. And then Scott made a disgusted noise and left the room. It's been, I don't think I've rewatched season five since it aired. And I remember being disappointed then. And I'm disappointed now, but kind of not for the same reasons. I'm disappointed with Fox for not putting the budget in. It could have been so good. It was not. Where do we start? The weird mouth movement, the awkward walking, the weird fighting, the trauma-inducing voice of the new gambit. I, the person who had to take over, I know you did your best, but when you had four seasons of Yes, it was. Was it the best Cajun accent? No, but it was a Gambit accent. And that was a perfect Gambit accent. Not only did we get a new voice, Gambit got a new hairstyle. He was regressed back into just the thief role. And we had some character development in that regard. So it just seemed as though they got. I don't know, paper doll versions of the characters and just sort of played with them like on a stick. Funny you should mention the paper doll thing, because especially in the apocalypse episode, there's this weird glow around everybody. And okay, I can maybe like look past that as just something weird that happened with the animation and blame it all on the budget. But then there's also this weird glow around their mouth, which to me just seems like there's no quality control or at least nowhere near enough quality control. And what are they doing? You have four seasons of possibly the best cartoon ever made. Fight me, Batman fans. And then you have this. (laughs) Oh, God, the. So last week I mentioned, hey, Tony Daniels, the guy who was voicing Archon, is the replacement voice after Chris Potter left after season four. I'm trying to find out why he left. So I know the actor had to have been trying his best. And I know that authentic accents were not a thing that were really like that voice directors really looked for until like five years ago. But this, as somebody who lived in Houston and therefore the, a lot of the Katrina diaspora came to Houston. So I've heard a lot of Cajun accents. It was, it was painful. It was so painful. Can we call this the original MCU recasting? I want to say there's been there was storm so this can't be the Yeah, original. they recast Storm. Fair. And I want to say that for a couple of episodes in season 5 they might have gotten somebody else to voice Rogue, but I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. True enough, true enough. But this was 
definitely noticeable. And it actually took the basis of the character away. It's like, okay, it's the same visual kind of sort of kind of not, but same visual. So you get, it's the same character, but without that accent, it was really hard to distinguish who it was supposed to be, especially since you had all these additional Morlock characters, which this is one of the few times we see the Morlocks out of the sewer. And what are they doing and what's going on here? So, I mean, like, what the heck's going on in this episode? You got Apocalypse trying to come back, and we know things are not going to go good with Fabian. I mean, it's it's just a given. And if that's the case, why the heck did Apocalypse even wait? He should have gone into Fabian, like, years ago Why they were setting this up. Why did they wait for now? Because he's a villain and he needed to monologue. There's one of these, you know, um, like honest trailer things. And one of the things that they keep noticing is you have the villain right there. But instead of just killing them right away, like in Love and, in Love and Thunder, Thor Love and Thunder, like in that fight in New Asgard, it's like Thor could have taken care of Blade Dude. Basically immediately, but for some reason, there's like this pause and let's throw him over here. Let's do this action instead of actually just doing what needs to be done. And here we see that it has early seeds in the MCU right here. Apocalypse for some reason, maybe they're going to, maybe he's trying to needs to be charged up, but you're right. It's like Fabian's there. Might as well go do this, pretend to be Fabian and could it be trapped or something or whatever. Maybe Fabian's body's rejecting him for some reason and then do it. I don't know, but you're right. It's like Fabian's there and yeah. You've got to have the right space alignment stuff going. And I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist, so I don't know about astrical alignments and everything with body sacrifices and stuff all rocket scientists know about body sacrificing <laughs> i know what? right but also you have this society what, you're telling me that you don't need a blood sacrifice to get a rocket off the ground i have been lied to well spacex might need that with starship but we'll get to that <laughs> later but you do have the society which i mean just historically they had blood sacrifices no matter which indigenous mexican culture this is because you kind of don't really get a real answer if it is one that actually existed but that's a whole different issue but like they all they had sacrifices that that's just a fact and why did they need a strong young mutants because you already have the culture for sacrifices you could have just grabbed part of your own population Okay, so with regards to the indigenous group that was there, they mentioned it was in Guatemala or the Yucatan, so presumably, and they mentioned like either they're North Mayan or something at the very beginning of the episode. This is a trope that I have never liked. The dumb indigenous people worship something that's not a god as a god. It annoys me. It annoys me so much. And of course, you have Fabian Cortez, who, I mean, the name Cortez is a very fraught one in Mexico and that whole region. 
So you have that coming in and then he's the white or white passing guy who's coming in and being in charge of this cult. And it was on the one hand, it rubbed me the wrong way. And on the other, it was like, yeah, he would try this. With regards to Apocalypse wanting a young, strong mutant body, I mean, Apocalypse is a mutant, so presumably uh, the whole X-gene thing has something to do with the body that he wants to transfer into. All that was a bit of a stretch. I did like the inclusion of the hounds, though, and I was really disappointed that Rachel Summers wasn't one of them. At first, I thought that one female marauder was her. But the hair color's wrong. Rachel Summers has red hair because Summers and gray bloodline, they all tend to be redheads. And uh, also, Rachel Summers does not have psychic boomerang powers. Well, they've gone into rights issues and stuff like that, but I don't think Rachel Summers would have been a rights issue, especially if they had Gene and Scott and stuff like that. So it might have just been poor animation but the powers you know bring into that question of it's not even her power so i think we can definitively say it wasn't rachel and um, and unfortunately it wasn't part of the hounds which i don't know the comic background there but as soon as you said that i was like well yeah there there's a thing that we just didn't get also um about the complexity of things this is like a backup temple to the temple And I'm just thinking to myself, if you've ever done project management of a massive project, I've done it for buildings, I've done it for millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars of stuff before, and you really go through a lot just to do the prime project, but then to do the prime project and then to do a backup project, isn't that a little bit too much overall? I'm just thinking, here's adult SP, (laughs) thinking, wow. Who had the time? Who had the resources? And more importantly, it's the time because these mutants, these evil mutants are kind of focusing on either world or universal domination, right? Why do they spend time doing a backup? They're like, this is it. I don't need a backup. So I don't know. That's kind of stretching things a little bit, in my opinion, from the plot. But maybe that's just me from a project management standpoint. Ra's al Ghul had multiple Lazarus pits. I mean, Apocalypse is near mortal. Maybe he invented the concept of redundancy. So I've been looking at this whole thing, trying to figure out why Chris Potter, the voice, the original voice of Gambit, left. First of all, Storm was replaced after season one. So I really am mostly, you know, used to hearing Allison Seeley. Yeah, Allison Seeley Smith. So, some facts. First of all, the voice actors who have played Magneto, Cyclops, and Sabretooth have all died. I think we reported on the Cyclops one back when it happened in 2020. But another thing I found out, and I'm going to say this is relevant because we got a version of Sabretooth in Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theater. Are any of you familiar with the voice actress Cree Summers? Oh, yes. Okay, she is in everything. She was Penny in Inspector Gadget. She was Susie Carmichael in Rugrats. Right now, she is the voice of Raishan on The Legend of Vox Machina. So her dad, along with Rainbow Sun Franks, who you might remember from the first season of Stargate Atlantis, their dad was Sabretooth. 
Yeah, Don Franks. Hmm. Yeah, he died in 2016. But yeah, wow. He was also the original voice of Boba Fett in the Star Wars Holiday Special and on the Droids TV series. And he was Dr. Claw. So. Uh, Claw. I know it's not the same Claw, but. Yeah, dude had a fantastic career, even though you wouldn't be able to tell that by. Like, I really. The voice directing difference between this and Batman the Animated Series is interesting. You have like two different philosophies there. It's like I feel X-Men is more based on theatrical stuff because or uh, like actual live theater actors, because a lot of the actors were live theater actors that they just kind of pulled into the studio. And then you had the voice directors for Batman the Animated Series who wanted it a bit more naturalistic. And I feel like that particular era in cartoons was kind of the turning point from the, well, this is the animated stuff from the 80s where we're going to be very, very, what's the word when your diction is super good? Anyway, when they do that to, again, just talking like a person. So the X-Men, the animated series actors were mostly taken from the Toronto theater experience. Mm -hmm. Where were the Batman, the animated series actors? Actual Hollywood actors. Okay. Yeah. In fact, like if you go back and you look at the voice cast for X-Men, the animated series, there are some names. Like I just watched Princess Diaries and Princess Diaries 2 with my best friend. And Oh, I'm blanking on his name, the bodyguard of the queen in that movie. He voiced Bane on Batman the Animated Series. Hector. Hector Elizondo. Yes, thank you. Just, you know, all these actual, because you have the LA actors, so you're pulling them into it. And it's, again, it's the two very different schools of thought with directing there. And I find that fascinating about... As equally as it kind of annoys me with the X-Men one sometimes. Which makes me wonder for X-Men the Animated Series, what approach they're going to take. Right. Well, I don't know whether they're going to consider Season 5 canon or not, but Apocalypse is back. So Apocalypse could easily slide into X-Men 97 coming up here. This is what I was thinking. I don't know what these final four episodes have in them, but at least we have Apocalypse back now which means Apocalypse could be back for the 97 series. So He will also be a different voice because the original voice actor died a few years ago. The original voice actor, by the way, was also Baltar on the original BSG. Oh, wow. That's going, that's going back far. I, you know, I started trying to watch the, what is it? 78 uh, Battlestar Galactica and when I was younger, I was able to stomach it, and it's really hard to do that. Now, just like it's really hard to do Star Trek, the original series, which was in the 60s, it's a little I've hard to do that I've been going through now. Star Trek, the original series, because it's charming. Like, again, a lot of these people were theater actors, so seeing the difference between that more theatrical acting style versus, again, True. the more naturalistic stuff of, I mean, next-gen forward, even, is... 
it's just something that's always been kind of fascinating to me. So I've, I've been having fun going back and watching, you know, old 60s and 70s sci-fi. It'd be interesting to do a more in-depth comparison between the original series of Star Trek of the 60s and like Strange New Worlds, which is about as close as we're going to get right now between the two of here's a modern series and here's what the series was in the 60s. And do the same sort of comparison to X-Men, the animated series 1992 and X-Men 97 when it eventually comes out, because there undoubtedly is going to be some differentiation between the two. I hope for the better. I hope Bo, he has the history in mind. He has the endearing qualities in mind, but you have to actually move it forward a little bit too. So I hope Bo has that as he goes forward. So the second episode that we had, Jubilee is like a tour guide to some kids and ends up telling a story to keep everybody calm. And if you've ever heard of such a situation, which there have been in real life, by the way, there was the famous one where it was, I want to say it was in, um, it was in Southeast Asia, right? Where they had the, the cave and they made a movie out of it where they had to Mm. take the kids through the water. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've ever been or heard of such a situation, it is a art to try to keep the kids calm and sane and, and with hope and stuff like that. So I know this is just a kid's cartoon in season five of the X-Men. So it's not all that great, but I think she does a good job at least of entertaining the kids and telling this fanciful story. I kind of joked about it before saying that she was kind of a dungeon master storyteller, but that's basically what she's doing here. And I think it came across the concept of the episode came across as kind of genuine and unique. And I'm glad they did that. Now the execution was a little bit, but I think the concept behind it was pretty cool and it gave more depth to Jubilee as a character, in my opinion. And really just the fact that she was able to go in there and distract the kids the way that she did is like exactly what you need to be doing in there. Cause you don't need to have these kids freaking out inside a cave where it's already a dangerous situation in the best of circumstances and just getting them up into higher ground, getting them up to where they can get out, keeping them from freaking out. That was really good on her part. And I think most of the other X-Men, if they had been the ones to stay behind we would have had a bit of a disaster. <laughs> so have any of y'all seen Little Monsters on Hulu? It's a zombie movie with Lupita Nyong'o and Josh Gad. It's zombies in Australia, like a, a kindergarten class on a field trip to a petting zoo. It's become one of my favorite movies. I've been wanting to rewatch it again, even though I just rewatched it like last month. But part of the thing there is because it's, you know, a classroom of, you know, six-year-olds or five-year-olds, they tell them, oh, no, this is just a game. It's, a, it's like a video game, but it's just them. And you, it, it's like tag. You don't want to let them touch you. And that's how she keeps the kids calm through this kind of mini zombie apocalypse. Anyway, I highly recommend watching it. It's hilarious. I love it. but. That idea of, you know, telling a kid a story or saying something is a game. You see it, you know, Life is Beautiful told that story and won an Oscar. And cave-ins are terrifying. If you ever want to just 
have a night where you're you don't want to sleep look up caving accidents look up nutty putty cavern it's all horrifying and yeah you people adults would be freaking out you're going to be wanting to keep kids calm and let's face it telling a telling basically robin hood with magic and you know all of that nice fun fantasy story it's a good way to do it kids like stories my biggest question is where was the monorail (laughs) it's supposed to be down there, right? Just get to the monorail. You'd be saved, right? Magnus has this metal army, right? It's just suits of armor and they're walking around. They're talking actually, which would be interesting to get a suit of armor to talk. But anyway, and not electronic, not like Iron Man talk, right? Cough, cough, full metal alchemist. So they're walking around and they're saying, Magnus is going to turn us into pots and pans if we don't do this. And this is what's wrong with supervillains. They don't take their henchmen and mold them and train them over time to get them better. If they screw up, they just get rid of them. They, you know, they kill them or turn them into pots and pans in this case or whatever, disintegrate them. They don't cultivate them and make them better. So the next time they stand a chance, this is what's wrong with superhero or supervillains. I am having so many thoughts about a current wrestling story in WWE. Like this guy has basically blackmailed and intimidated his family into being his enforcers and stuff. And the one guy that they actually brought in who was actually, you know, they're they're kind of, yeah, they're taking the time to groom him basically just turned on them. And it was, it's such a good story. Anyway, yes, villains have a chronic backstabbing problem. And like in Venture Brothers, you have Henchman 21 and Henchman 24, <laughs> right? So you have this ongoing saga with these people that basically turn into their own kind of supervillains over time, which is fine. But at least there's character development there and there's development of the henchmen over time. And matter of fact, they even go against their their supervillain from time to time. Like, no, that's not going to work. No, I'm not going to do that. We're going to do this over here. This this is what we're supposed to be doing over here. You're You're off the rails. That's important when it comes to this sort of thing and i know it's very simplistic in the 90s and i know they're they're battling against the the safety thing of let's not show deaths or whatever but i mean you could still do development of henchmen and i hope that in x-men 97 we do get a little bit of that because you can develop whole new characters that way i think one of the most infamous one is there's a Batman animated series episode where Harley Quinn actually gets Batman and she's like, I'm a henchman who has developed and learned from the Joker and look at what I've done. And the Joker is upset because she's been able to do something that he can't and he's the boss and he's not the type of boss to reward employees for taking initiative and learning and growing and doing something that he cannot. I mean, in all reality, it's the entire Harley Quinn show on HBO right now. Don't watch with your children. It's such a fun show. Yeah, definitely. I guess in a lot of ways, you could look at the villain henchman situation as just a very, very unhealthy relationship. There's a podcast I listen to about cults where they keep talking about how cults are basically abusive relationships on a massive scale 
And yeah, you you see that every time henchmen are like, yeah, they're going to, you know, disassemble us and kill us if we don't do this. That's that's not loyalty. That's now, granted, this was all in Jubilee's mind. This didn't actually happen out there or anything, but that's the point of the, the matter is saying we need to develop a little bit more secondary characters in both sides of the fence. So I loved Trollverine. <laughs> it was pretty good. I loved, you could hear the voice actor, Cal Dodd, really like getting into it, like jutting the jaw out to, to get that sound. And talking about that, we kind of skipped over it, but Hank in the previous episode, that was kind of interesting what happened with him and the fact that he was really struggling to handle the beast within him and trying to do his X-Men stuff at a higher cerebral level and just not able to do it. But I think that was played pretty well. So we had those two. I don't know. I had no idea that we'd be getting two or an episode back to back of Jubilee. So that kind of worked out here. And I did enjoy the delve into Jubilee a little bit further. But I'm, I was wondering if Apocalypse actually went into Jubilee, would Apocalypse be able to fly an X-Jet by himself? No, it's still Jubilee. They wouldn't let him do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I have a bit of a confession to make. So in about 1999, 2000, I was real big into fanfic. I mean, like I'm not now, but I was just kind of, you know, diving in headfirst to discovering it. And one fanfic that I wrote was a mashup of Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theater, Star Wars, specifically the Rogue Squadron novels, and Beavis and Butthead do America. And it was not good. It was in script format. I'm glad that computer has been long since wiped. Did your fanfic include Mara Jade? Yes, actually. Right. Uh, I believe she basically played the role that Demi Moore played in Beavis and Butthead do America. <laughs> it's unfortunate the uh, knock that Mara Jade character is. I don't think we'll ever see Mara Jade in the current. I hope we do Star Wars in universe. some form. I hope in some form, right? But the original form, it's just not conducive to these. Yeah, it's, it's we got so Thrawn. We can have her as like an Inquisitor or something, or bring back Emperor's hands. Just come on. Right. Well, Smara, come on. That was these two episodes. Final thoughts. What do you think, Chris? Good concepts, bad execution. If this was the first season, then I would be telling people just like get through this and you'll like it on from season two. But this is the last season and these two episodes. I'm not even disappointed in them because of the bad quality. I'm disappointed with them because they were so close to being good episodes. Yeah, it's. I was listening to a discussion recently about how criticizing a thing that you love doesn't mean that you hate it. It means that you care enough to want it to be better. And that's definitely a case with these two episodes. They're both based on kind of classic X-Men stuff, although in the comics it was Kitty's fairy tale theater and it was Kitty Pride doing the storytelling. But since she's not really, you know, a thing in this show, other than I think in Pride of the X-Men, I 
kind of had the urge to make Magneto's fantasy costume for the next time I go to Ren Faire. I thought it looked really cool. I remember at the time being real frustrated with New Gambit, and now there's that added kind of professional frustration. Does that mean that I that means something? I don't know. I'm just. I'm curious of other people once you start doing, you know, a thing professionally. Do you start getting real nitpicky or is it just me? I'm just glad we only have four episodes left. I was just going to bring that up. We have four episodes left. We're going to be taking them two at a time. So we have two episodes left. So if you have anything to say about X-Men, the animated series, you have two weeks to get that feedback back into us, as well as if you have input until what we cover next afterwards in our off weeks from Disney plus and MCU films, please let us know. We were just talking about that here. You guys mind us taking a week off. Do we do the Spider-Man series from what the seventies, I believe that was, or maybe the eighties. I can't remember exactly when that came out or X-Men evolutions. There's a ton of stuff that we could delve into. So we're looking into what you guys think as well as what we think. So we'll, see that going forward next week we will be talking season five of x-men the animated series episodes seven and eight in the meantime we got some marvel studio news to delve into so we're starting off with some good news the MCU's first out transgender actor, Zoe Tarakis, talks making history with Marvel. This was during Sundance. It was an interview with a Collider reporter. Zoe Tarakis talked about their casting. Zoe is a non-binary trans mask person. Kind of not really feeling the whole gender thing, but when they do, leaning towards more masculine for those who may not understand the concept of a non-binary trans person. They said uh, in the interview, I think as trans people growing up, I didn't get to see myself anywhere. So I didn't really know that I existed and especially not in a superhero show or movie. And so I think I just feel deeply grateful and moved that little trans kids and trans teens have something to look at and to know they exist and to know they can have superpowers. And that's where we belong. We don't just belong in trauma stories on the fringes dying and things, you know? We belong there with the big guys. So yeah, it meant a lot to me. I've talked at length about how I didn't have anybody that looked like me on TV when I was growing up. Me, Lauren, the person. The only, like, Hispanic female roles that were on screen were, like, maids and drug dealers And it wasn't until Selena came out that I really had somebody to grab onto. In terms of bisexuality, I didn't know that was a thing until I saw Karen on Will and Grace. And that wasn't a great portrayal of a bi person, but it gave me the words to understand this is a thing. And then I I ignored that for like another 15 or so years until I finally was able to say the words, I am bisexual. The more positive representation you have along the various spectrums of ethnicity and gender presentation, sexuality, 
disability, whatever, neurodiversity, the more people are able to realize, hey, first of all, people can have the words to describe a thing they're feeling. And then once they have those words, they're able to then figure out where they fit. And seeing yourself not as a bad guy, not as a victim, but as a person, and in this case, a person with superpowers, possibly, it means so, so much, especially in a time like right now when there's this huge backlash against representation and you have people trying to outlaw particularly trans people out of existence and it's more important than ever to make sure that people know hey you're not alone hey this is a perfectly normal natural thing this you have a community you have people who are going to love you it's immeasurably important and i'm so glad to see zoe being announced and i really really hope that the internet is kinder to them than has historically happened to quote-unquote woke representation again it's not woke it's common human decency People just grabbed onto a word and thought they know what it means because it's, it's there's this perception that equality is a finite amount. It's not. It's like love. You the more that you have, the more you can give, and the better it is all around. I have a lot of feelings. I'm very sorry, but I'm very happy to have Zoe in the MCU. I've talked about it before, and I'll say it again, just so my viewpoint is out there. I think diversity of thought is very important for us as a species and for any sort of storytelling is specifically any sort of analysis of what's going on in the world around you. And there are very specific reasons why I think that. So by including what some people might say are fringe members of society, I think are more mainstream than you might believe. But I think by including all parts of society, you get that diversity of thought. And I think it's more important to have that than it is to not. So I'm looking forward to this casting and the inclusion of transgender as we go forward in the MCU. Oh, I completely agree. Representation matters, always matters. All right. So we have another story, unfortunately, that we find ourselves talking about, but. we're very grateful to be able to talk about. Yeah, now we're going into sad news. Annie Wershing, an actress known for TV roles and TV dramas, um, Bosch and 24, as well as her portrayal of Leslie Dean, the mother of alien superhero Carolina on Marvel's Runway, has died. She was 45. She died um, from cancer. And she has left behind her husband and their three children. So first of all, F cancer. And she just wasn't on the runaways. She was the board queen on Picard. She was in Timeless. Major crimes. The Vampire Diaries is Elise Salvatore. So those of us with Vampire Diaries and the mom and that storyline was really cool. Castle, Blue Bloods, 
She was a voice in The Last of Us video game, which is the new HBO shows based off of and just go on and on. She had uh, 48 actor, um, actor credits and she's one of those really fascinating, I don't like the word character actors, but she always brought a lot to whatever little she was given and she will be sorely missed. I know Gates McFadden has been taking this really hard if you check her social media, I guess they got really close after her appearance as the Borg Queen on Star Trek Picard. I also recognized her from, there's a Bioware game, it's gotten a lot of hate, but I actually have a lot of fun whenever I play it, Anthem, and she plays Tassin in that game, and the character was very heavily physically based on her. and. Between that and the Borg Queen and Runaways and just everything that she's been in, and she was only 45, it's, yeah, very seriously F cancer. I will fondly remember her and her appearances, her performances. I definitely would want to see more from her. I am very grateful for the outpouring of support that her family has received because of her unfortunate, untimely, I would say, death in F cancer. But Chris, moving on, we have another episode of what's going on in Marvel with the timeline. And much less important to the real world, but still important to the MCU. We have Marvel confirms Black Panther's two position in the MCU timeline. So Disney Plus has revealed exactly where Black Panther Wakanda Forever lands on the timeline. And of course, this article is also pulling from Reddit, as is 98% of the rest of the internet. But they have placed Wakanda Forever after Moon Knight, but before She-Hulk in the Marvel timeline order. So Moon Knight is taking place after Hawkeye, which takes place about Christmas 2024. I will be out in the streets looking for everybody next year to see that happen. She-Hulk coming during the summer of 2025. So that puts Wakanda forever about in the spring of 2025, which does make a lot of sense because you have the foliage and clothing style that kind of indicates spring and Riri Williams's differential equations class is only being taught at MIT during the spring semester. So you got to be spring somehow there. I was scratching my head when I saw this on Reddit. So if you've not been over to Reddit, the Marvel Studios subreddit is where a lot of this stuff happens and is posted. And there's a lot of opinion pieces there, a lot of people throwing their personal analysis out, which is fine. But every once in a while, you find a story like this and you kind of delve into it a little bit. But I was scratching my head over, why is this so important? And Michelle, since you've been looking at the timeline for quite a while, trying to figure out where things fit, maybe you can provide some depth to that question of why is this important? Well, it's important because now we know where Moon Knight happens, because part of the problem when we had with Moon Knight was post blip during blip after blip we don't know now understanding that it's closer to wakanda forever 
and before She-Hulk. That means also that the Eternals has to happen somewhere in here as well. Because in She-Hulk, we have the story of the seeing the statue and that pops up. So if She-Hulk is in the summer of 2025, thinking about how news circulates, that would mean the Eternals happen somewhere a little bit before then. So now we're sort of realizing these are post-blip, everybody's back in the world stories. And it does make sense. There's a lot of loss trying to figure out everybody's fits in the world, bringing everybody back. And it does seem that with Wakanda Forever, it's this definite, okay, we, we've grieved long enough. We think we've put the world back together. Who cares about who else died when people came back from the blip in midair because they were in an airplane when it happened? We're done with that. We're going to move on into weird, cosmic, multiverse, Kang, quantum realm, weird Steve Dicko type of stuff now. So please stop talking about this type of thing. I think that's important to know that it's, that it's in there and where the phase four ends. Yeah, we're at the end of phase four. Yeah, we're into yeah, phase, phase five four. now. Yeah, phase four ends in the spring of 2025. So now we know, okay, now it's, here we go. Weird stuff. So you brought up a couple of things I just wanted to note. First of all, the baby celestial, which was turned to rock or whatever it was in Eternals, that's going to come back up in the MCU. There is some mining that is occurring, and then we'll see it in future MCU projects. Won't spoil anything for saying which one or whatever, but I just want to state that I've seen definitive proof out there for plots that the baby celestial is going to come back. So it wasn't just at the end of Eternals and then, hey, we've got these new islands out in French Polynesia or wherever it is and whatever. The the second part that I wanted to say is we're at the start of phase five, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We've not delved too much into it. There are some new trailers out there. They're getting into the hype of it coming out in just a couple of weeks and we'll review it on the show. I am going in with it with the viewpoint. It's not going to end well. It's going to be more of an end game ending or a, 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 not end game, but infinity war ending where we're going to start to see a lot of bad things happen until they're wrapped up at the end of phase six. So just go into some projects from here on out saying, just knowing something bad is going to happen to your favorite characters. You're not going to get the complete happy ending that phase one and phase two kind of gave us all the way up to uh, the phase three and infinity war and end game. That's just my warning to anybody that's on this podcast. That's any, anybody listening to this podcast, Ant-Man in the wasp quantum mania is not going to end happy. Go lucky. It's just my point there, but yeah, timeline is very important because you start picking up on where things are happening and the tone of where things are happening. As you were mentioning, all right, the final thing that we're going to go into today is a little bit of Scarlet Witch stuff. Huh? What's going on here? Well, there was a CBR.com article which saying that Scarlet Witch brings an MCU sidekick into the Marvel Universe, and she has a secret 
Marvel's most hexing Avenger is bringing along a new assistant on her journey of altruism, and it's a face that MCU fans will find familiar. In Scarlet Witch issue number one by Steve Orlando, Sarah Picelli, Elizabetha Domenko, I believe is how you say it, and I'm sorry if I got that wrong, Matthew Wilson, and VC's Corey Pettit, the 616 universe is introduced to a specific character that, up until now, has only ever been seen on screen as part of the cinematic version of Marvel Universe. The character in question is none other than Darcy Lewis. Yes, Darcy's role in Wanda's new series remains a mystery. However, it is quickly established that, unlike her MCU counterpart, this Darcy has some dark secrets that she is running from. We knew there was more to Darcy than we were seeing on screen. Whether Wanda can help her in this regard seems like it is being set up to be one of the central plot points of this series. So if you've been looking for Darcy in the comics, Scarlet Witch number one is for you. I picked it up as soon as I saw that on our notes, and I'm in the process of reading it. And it's fun. I love Sarah Pacelli's art. She's done some of my favorite stuff, including like there was a Pixie miniseries and she did that. And she's done some Miles Morales stuff and just she's so good at drawing faces and things. And I'm happy. I'm very happy. The story is fun. Quicksilver's in it. He's, you know, a lovable jerk. I love that she actually remembered that Wanda and Pietro are half Romani. So, you know, visibly. And uh, yeah, it's it's fun so far. It's a four issue little miniseries. So pick it up. I can recommend it. So in the depiction of Darcy, did you feel some Kat Dennings in it? Yes, there's a little bit of that sass in there. Like you said, it's a little bit more of a mystery of what her, you know, her background is here. But I kind of squealed when I first saw her and it's everything is just it's very happy. I'm very happy. All right. I'm jealous that you're getting your Darcy. I need my Gwen. Come on. You have a whole comic book series to your Gwen. That's what this is about. It's taking Darcy from the screen and putting her in the comics. You already have that. You just don't have the reverse yet. Kind of. Sort of. I know. I need it to happen. (laughs) Well, we're going to get that here this year, right? With. um, Yeah, the next Spider-Verse. Yeah. It's into the Spider-Verse. That was the first one, right? I forget what this one is called. And it's a two-parter. So you're going to get her twice, right? I want live action Gwen. I'm being selfish. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. All right. So we've entered into the end game of this podcast. And I think what we should do is Lauren and Michelle should get together, create their own fanfic DM universe and tell us a story. I think that's what you guys should do. Be prepared to do that for next time. What do you think? I already have an idea. Excellent. What do you think about H.P. Lovecraft? <laughs> Minus the racism? Minus the racism. I, I meant the, the stories. Stories. Okay, excellent. Stories, yes. Person, person, H.P. No, Lovecraft, no. notably racist even for his time.
I know these last two episodes of X-Men, the animated series weren't exactly stellar, but uh, I have enjoyed watching them to get the background of the X-Men that y'all had watching the movies, which I really didn't have. So I'm like, Ooh, apocalypse. Who's that? Cause I didn't read the comics before we started the show either. And uh, I got some background into it. So yeah, that's cool. Also, if you are on the Gunna Geek Network, which you should be because you're listening to us and we're part of the Gunna Geek Network, there is another show on there called Smoking and Drinking in Capes. And they've been going down some of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Most recently, just a couple of days ago as we record this, or actually just yesterday as we record this, they dropped The Incredible Hulk. Yes, that one that uh, ended up recasting Hulk in the end, the one with Liv Tyler and stuff. So Ed Norton. So they reviewed that, so you can get that at GunnaGeek.com. But thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who checks this out. We absolutely love talking about Marvel. We love knowing that you love Marvel and want to be part of the conversation. So thank you so much for being here every week. Or if you're new, hello, welcome. Yes, I would like to thank everyone who joins us who has found us and i would like to give a special shout out to my cousin carl who has found this podcast and has been talking about it so i just want to do a special shout out hey carl carl (laughs) carl (laughs) yes it is always so much fun to be able to come talk to y'all about this and knowing that people are listening to it and we will try to find the positives in the last episodes of season five, because after that, we just get to look at good things all over the place. And speaking of good things, not really the next episode of Play Comics, if you want to check out that out, I am looking at Batman Gotham Racer. It's bad, but the episode's fun. If you want more of me, you can find me on my website, lwselinas.com. You can find me on Twitter yelling about wrestling at at Sithwitch. And if you like audiobooks, the second book in a series that I've been narrating just came out. The book is called Stumble and Fall. The author is Amy Rivers. It's part two of A Legacy of Silence. So if you like books about intergenerational trauma and sex trafficking... <laughs> Please check it out. I'm so proud of my work on both of these, especially the second one. And yeah, they are both on Audible as of today. And that's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. I'm Agent Dribbles. And I'm Agent Chris. Yeah, what happened to Agent Fumbles? Okay, I'm Agent Fumbles. Okay, there you go. See everybody next time. Bye. We'll get you next time. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. 
No infringement is intended. <laughs> One thing that we didn't check beforehand. Okay. Let's try a reboot of the soundboard. This is incredible. The joys of technology. I feel like, you know, the Saturday uh, ABC Wild World of Sports. The joys of victory. And then the, the agony of defeat. Yeah. That <laughs> is going down the, the ski jump and stealing oh all those 360s God. and everything. As a kid, I'm like, hey, that's great. It's like the X Games now, right? But as an adult, mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, that gotta hurt. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2023.